Hello, hello, good morning. Today we're diving into Joshua chapter 9. For those that are, have been with us, we've been ch- preaching through the book of Joshua as our theme of Church on the Move. We see the Israelites on the move together with Joshua leading them into what, was, what God promised them in the promised land. This is, a, this is an epic story of just how God leads his people uh, to conquer leads his people to, to, to take over. And it's the promise that God has given to his people, his chosen ones. And so we're in Joshua 9, and we're, we're taking stories, and we're learning from these stories on how we as a church need to move with God. We're learning from these stories as we as a church, as a church, we're actually not called to be an institution. As a church, we're called to be a movement a movement that moves through this land and declares who God is, a movement where God has established a kingdom and we're supposed to extend that kingdom. That's what the purpose of the church is. The purpose of the church isn't a stagnant institution that people come to, but a movement of people that preaches and proclaims his kingdom. And so this story is an illustration on how God wants us to move with him. It's a narrative of God giving his people his land, the promised land. Now, if we look at Canaan, this isn't a land that's just sitting there waiting for the Israelites. It isn't a land that is empty and the Israelites just enter into it and it's, it's this beautiful place where they could settle. This land is taken over by a group of people called the Canaanites. The area was called Canaan. And the Canaanites is a diverse group of multiple nations, and it's not one nation, but of multiple cultures and multiple diversity. We see these accounts that Joshua goes into as we've already preached through how Joshua has taken over Jericho. And last week, the last two weeks, we looked at the account of how Joshua took over the city of Ai. These battles that we look at are pure genocides. They completely wipe out the cities, its people. And when we apply our understanding of how these battles are won, it becomes inhumane and it feels like it's a little too extreme. And you're not wrong in that thinking. Because the way that we live today is different from how they lived back then. When we look at how they lived, it was, about tribe, it was a tribal culture where each tr- tribe had its own culture. And if we look at how war was put in place, it was about annihilation. It's not just the people of Israel that annihilated people as they conquered land, but every single tribe did it this way. It was a complete annihilation, so there was no merger of culture, that cultures won't influence other cultures, that when you go into that place of conquering, that is just your culture, pure into that land. And so when we look at that aspect of it, what Israelites were doing was no different from any other tribes that were moving through the land. But if we apply what we know today into and how we feel today and how we look at humanity today into the cultural context of Joshua and how war was seen back then, what we fail to see is that we focus so much on the injustice of what God is doing that we fail to see God's purposes and intents. We fail to see God's mercy. We fail to see God's, God's compassion on people. And we only focus on the judgment. And so 
it's dangerous for us to apply what we know into that cultural context. But that, the context that God wants is that he wants his people to enter into this place where his promises are there, that the worship and his laws will be there, and that he has set the Israelites apart as his chosen nation, consecrated them, adopted them, and giving this order, he was protecting them. It's hard for us to sit here and, and, and sometimes look at these battles and think that, man, our God is merciless. Is there another way? Our God doesn't have any compassion. No, because in Scripture we learn that our God is compassionate. He leads with compassion. And he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So how is this a reflection of that? Well, if we look throughout the Bible, there are so many stories of God's mercy that even in Sodom and Gomorrah would have been, would have been spared if there were righteous people in it. The fact that Canaan still exists is because there were righteous people in it. So today as we look into Joshua 9, I just want to ask for the team to put up a map. I want us to kind of take a look at... So this is a map of, of ancient Israel. The Great Sea is what we see as the Mediterranean Sea. The Salt Sea is the Dead Sea. So this, I want us to remember that the land that we're talking about, sometimes when we read scripture and we, we picture all these things, all of a sudden it becomes this Lord of the Rings thing and we forget that this land is actually real, okay? And so we don't, I don't want you to think of this as, as some kind of fairy tale or some kind of mythical thing. This is real and this is happening in real place in the world. And so this is the Jordan River right here. And so they are crossing from the east to the west of the Jordan River. So this is the promised land that God has promised them. But when we actually go through Joshua, we're going to see that God actually gave them both the east and the west of the Jordan. Okay? And so this is where they crossed, right above the Dead Sea. And so here is Jericho, where they marched around the city. If you haven't heard that sermon, go back. It's a couple weeks old. But they marched around the city and they defeated Jericho. And then they went to Ai, which is the, the city that we preached about for the last two weeks. Um, and they, they made a mistake, remember? They, they went and did their own thing and God's like, nope, that's not how you do it. And then uh, God redeemed it. So they, they led them into battle and they, they came and attacked them from two sides of Ai. One, so if you look at here, that's Bethel. Uh, so one, the 25,000 men rested up here, went through Ai. Joshua and his men were between Bethel and Ai and uh, drew, drew out the men, and that's how they won the battle. And then after the battle of Ai, what did they do? They went to worship. They went to the mountains to worship. They carried them about 30 miles back to a place called Gilgal, and that's actually where our setting takes place today. This is where they're worshiping. This is where the, the, the renewal of the covenant of God's people with uh, of God's people to God and say, hey, we're not going to do this again. We made a mistake. Uh, we suck. Okay? Um, and so they're at Gilgal right now. And the story involves this city right here called Gibeon. Okay? So if you look at where Ai is, Gibeon is not that far. 
It literally is the next city that the Israel is, gonna, is going to conquer. It's the next city for the conquering and, and, and the, the taking of, of all of Canaan. And so this is where we rest. So I wanted you guys to get a picture of it so that you guys don't get into this Lord of the Rings mindset and there's fable lands and Canaan is this, this weird place and there it's all real places. But before we get into scripture, why don't we, why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. And Father God, we just pray that as we come before you and as we look at your scripture, Lord, may you speak to us about how you want us to live with you. Father God, that's in amongst all of the things that we do, that you are still present and that you have a a plan for us and that you want to walk out that plan with us. So, Father God, we just pray that as we come before you, Lord, may your spirit come and speak to us. May you take the words from Scripture and teach us how we are to live. So, Lord, we thank you and pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joshua 9, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Joshua 9. I don't have PowerPoint today, and I don't have the Scriptures up. So pull out your phones, grab a Bible from the back. Uh, Joshua 9 is where we are today. Verse 1 and 2, it starts off, As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowlands, all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the, pe- the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, heard of this. They gathered together one as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So the word is spreading. People now see the Israelites are in their land. The Canaanites see that they have already conquered Jericho. They've already taken down Ai, and they are full of fear. They're afraid of what's to come next. They're afraid of, of of what the Israelites are going to do to them. And so all the kings, they gather together, and remember, these are not kings of the same type of people. They're kings of different types of people in different nations, and they're gathering together. It's like, we need to ally together in order to fight Israel. And actually, in chapter 10, as we go into it next week, there's a most epic battle of five kings against one nation. But I'm not going to get into that. So we, we see there's a fear. Word is spreading. Everybody knows that the Israelites are coming. They're going to come and conquer. They're going to come and take over. And when they take over, it's complete annihilation. And so when the Gibeonites, when Gibeon gets a hold of this and when they hear of the fact that they have already defeated Ai, we're the next city that they're going to come upon, they are afraid. And so in chapter 10, we learn that Gibeon is actually a bigger city than Ai and that the, all the men in that city were warriors, that this was one of the royal cities, one of the, the great cities, and it was home to the Hivites and the Amorites. And they, so what the Gibeonites saw was this is an opportunity for us. We could either face Israel and face the consequence or let's do something else. So they come up with a ruse. They come up with a plan to trick Joshua. So if we continue in chapter 9, verses 3, we see how the Gibeonites plan this great 
trickery and this great ruse to hide their identity. This past week, we just celebrated Halloween, and Halloween is, a, is an opportunity for us to dress up and identify as something else for a day. It's kind of weird, but a kind of cool culture where it's kind of like, hey, we get to dress up, and I could be Cardi B for the day, or I could be Kanye West for the day, and my son wanted to be a fireman, so he'd be a game of fireman for the day. But it's this aspect of taking on a new identity. It's, it's, it's hiding what, who we are and becoming something that we're not. We see this actually in a man by the name of Frank Abagnale, a tremendous, incredible con artist. There was a movie made of him in Catch Me If You Can. Leo DiCaprio plays him. And it's about this con artist that forges checks in order to get ahead. So he pretends and fools everybody to becoming an airline pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, a professor. And he did this for years from, from the time he was 19 years old. He was able to trick millions and forge checks and make a way for himself. And finally, by the time that the FBI were able to arrest him and put him in prison, they saw his skill set and actually used his intelligence for the FBI itself in terms of how do we develop uh, a department to look after this forgery aspect of it. And so it's in this place that they were pretending, the Gibeonites come to a place and, and they pretend to be what? They pretend to be people from faraway lands. You see, Gibeon is not that far from Ai, really close. And so, but they, they want to make sure that they are talking that we're not actually Canaanites they, because they know that if we're Canaanites, the covenant that the Israelites made with God is that we do not make any alliances or any treaties or come into any covenant relationship with anybody in Canaan. That was, that was the, the, the agreement that Israelites were with God. And so the Gibeonites knew that, and so they came up with a plan saying, we're from far away, so we're not from Canaan. We're not your neighbors. We're not in this land. We're from another place far away. So what do they do? Chapter, verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys, and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patches, sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So, that now, so now make a covenant with us. So what they did was they dressed up. So they took all their clothing and they made it all old and raggedy so it feels like that they were traveling from a far far away land because remember there was no cars no planes they mostly walked went by with with animals carrying their things and so with the time that that they're predicting that it takes from to come from the east to meet the israelites it should it should look like this we should look like we're all in rags that that our, our, our provisions are moldy, that our provisions are gone, that there's nothing left. And so they're coming as imitators of people from the East. So they pretend. You see, this is exactly how the enemy wants to trick us. When we look at how, how Satan functions and how he does things, he does things by deception. 
He wants to deceive us in, think, in, in, in using deception to take us and, and make treaties with us to take us away from the plan that God has for us. And so when we look at how, what the Gibeonites are doing, this is an example of how Satan does, how he does things in order to detract and take us away and confuse us and to, to derail us from what God has planned for us. And so if we continue going on, the ruse is there, the trickery is there. They take it the next step forward. And so Joshua and his people, they say, we have come from a distant country to make a covenant with us, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? So Joshua and them went, no, right? They know, it's like, if you're our neighbors, we can't make a covenant with you. Maybe you're close to us. We, we're, I don't know who you are. And so there is that aspect of wisdom that's there that's coming from the Israelites. And they said to Joshua, well, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And this is the great speech that the Gibeonites have. It's that sweet talk, right? You know how sometimes when you do something wrong and you, you sweet talk your way through it? My son loves to do that to my wife. Anytime he's in trouble, he, he, he tries to distract my wife. He smiles at her, and he, he's, he's like, oh, mama, look over there, or look at this. And he'll try to do something and be silly so that it detracts. And so the enemy detracts and says, and says this, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. So they even know how to talk to them. They said, look, we know who your God is. And they sent us to come. For we have heard reports of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of Amorites who, who were beyond the Jordan to Sion, the king of Heshon, to Og, the king of Bashan, who lives in Asheroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come, now make covenant with us. Here is our bread. It, is still, it was still warm when we took it from our houses as food for the journey on the day we set to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. All these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of the provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. So the sweet talk is there. The sweet talk is so well made and so well done and so well prepared that they actually talk about, we heard you when you were conquering in the east in Moses' time. When Moses was your leader, you conquered all these things and all these lands and they're telling this is the history we know and our kings heard of your great God and what God is doing in your, through your nation and so our kings told us to come and make a covenant with you and so that we could become your servants. And Joshua knew the promise and the covenant that was made, that was passed down from Moses to him for him to carry out. This is the new way of how we are to enter into land and we are not to make any treaty, any alliances, any covenants with anybody in Canaan. And so Joshua knew that. 
But these people are saying, look, we're not from Canaan because we've heard of Moses' conquest. We heard of what you did in the east. They did their research. They knew exactly what they were coming up against. They wanted to make sure that Joshua knew was going to make that covenant with them. So they did everything in their power to sweet talk, to, to prove, to do everything. They said, look, our bread was fresh when we left for a journey. See how it's moldy and crumbly right now? That's how long we've traveled. We had new wine in our new wineskins, and they're so old now that it's burst. Our clothes, our sandals are all worn out. See how far we've traveled? See how far the enemy goes to tell us things in order for us to believe the alliances that we are to make. You see, Satan's goal is to deceive us, to take us off course, off track, to trick us into believing something that isn't true. He wants to draw you in into ungodly alliances and does not want you to have, and does not have your best in mind. So what happened? We see in verse 14, Joshua did not ask counsel from the Lord. Joshua trusted it. He trusted the ruse. He trusted the sweet talk. He trusted all of that, and he made an alliance with these people. He made a covenant of the, with these people and says, you can be our servants. And he did not seek God's heart in it. He did not seek the counsel of the Lord. What alliances have we made that, keeps, uh, that takes us off track in our relationship with God? What are alliances that we've made in terms of the identities that we hold on to? This is what, this is what we think we are. This is, this is what God has made us to do. Do we think of ourselves more highly than we need to and allow ourselves to get to the top at any cost? Or maybe it's the other way around where we don't see ourselves as good enough and we undermine who God created us to be. Do we have a distraction of our career goals to be this or to be that or to be seen a certain way? Do we, have, do we want to always establish that perfect Instagram feed where everybody is envious of? These are deceptions and distractions that seem harmless or sometimes even disguised as good things. For us to think that we have it together and that we can make these decisions by ourselves is naive. And it's the same trap that Joshua falls into. Joshua made the covenant based on what he heard, what he saw, and did not inquire of the Lord. Joshua, come on, you've done this before. You did this just recently in the battle of Ai. You did not seek counsel of the Lord. You sent your people in, and they were, they were fought against, and people died. You've done this before, and so God redeemed that aspect. You go and you reestablish your covenant with God and say, God, I, sorry, we messed up. We're going to redo this. And what happens? Ayah. <laughs> Fools. Do we get into that place sometimes where we make decisions that seem insignificant? That we feel like we can make this because everything points to the right direction. Everything seems right. Everything that's told to us feels right. Whether it's a relationship that we get into where it's just like, oh, this person loves me. They wine and dine me. They're perfect for me. This is the right person for me. They care for me the way that I need to be cared for. 
But is that a distraction? Or is it a career, career move that you're making and where there's a job offer that seems to be the best job offer out there? It, it gives you all the benefits and all the good things that come with it. But are they distractions? Do we seek out all of the decisions that we make based off of our intellect and our wisdoms and our discernment, or do we seek God in making out these, dis- these, these decisions with us? You see, God wants us to live in a place where we make every single decision with him. Why? Because he has the perfect plan for you. This last week we were talking in, in our staff and we were all talking about something where, you know those scams that you get on your cell phone calls? They pretend that they're the CRA and says, like, you owe this money. If you don't pay this money right away, we're going to send cops after you and we're going we're gonna to chase you down and you're going and, and to go to prison. Or it's like these scams where it's just like, hey, if you give us all your bank information, um, we're going to deposit all this money into your account and you could keep this, all this, this money and all that, that great stuff. And sometimes they even give you this text. It's just like, hey, we're your cell phone carrier. Uh, you overpaid by this much. We want to deposit it back into your account. Just give us your bank account numbers. All these scams. These scams to, 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 to take advantage of us. These scams where, where they, they pretend to be one thing but really are another thing, where we fall into these things. And sometimes we, we look at it, it's like, oh, great, it's like an extra 100 bucks from my phone bill that I, I, I never knew I had. I get these texts from Fido. I'm not even with Fido, which is why it's <laughs> strange to be a text from Fido, right? where it's just like, hey, you overpaid. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm like, when was the last time I had a Fido account? Never. Uh, how do I have money with you? You know? But it's just like, oh, it's like an extra hundred bucks. I could really use an extra hundred bucks this month. You know what I mean? It's moments like that where it's just like, okay, use discernment, but seek counsel from God. And even the little things. Because sometimes everything may point out to be the right thing and point to the right directions, but the reality of it is, do you know if it's actually God doing something or if it's Satan doing something in your life? Is there something that is there to derail you, to trust fully in him and his plan for you? Or is it just something where it's, I could surrender this, I could give it up because I know God has something for me. I, I, I trust God. And maybe, yeah, this month I could use that extra little bit of money, but I trust that God is my Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. And that he'll provide it. And this seems like a provision, but is it really his provision? The lesson here actually is highlighted in Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. What does it say? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. This is a warning. It's about wise living. We always hear preachers up here just like me saying, well, we just need to live with Jesus and we live the way that God wants us to live and living according to his will. Yes, this is all true and this, this is how you're supposed to do it. But sometimes it doesn't make it easier and doesn't change it, and it's hard for us to reconcile that. Sometimes we hear those messages, we feel guilty, and, and we just don't know what to do with that message. Yes, we understand that we need to live with God. Okay, that is a complete understanding. We get it. We understand it. I want to walk out his will, but I can't. So teach me how. 
it really is about how we see our lives. And how do we see God? How do you see God? Do you see him as your creator, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-loving, that he is ever-present, never-forsaking, greater and more powerful and more intelligent and more able than anything you could put your trust in? Do you see God that way? If so, then do you believe that he has a plan for your life in this grand plan of his kingdom that is to be established? If that's also true, then wouldn't you want to know what his plan and his way for you to live in all the decisions, whether big or small, significant or insignificant, all of the things that you do, that there is an intentional plan that you are to walk out? If you believe that you are intentionally created by God, which you are, then don't you think there is also an intentional and perfect plan that he wants you to walk in? That if you do things his way, you will see the fullness and be in the fullness of his creation. That God isn't about controlling you and how you live because ultimately this is a choice. This is a choice for you to participate in. This is a choice for you to do. And if you choose not to do that, God will let you do however you please. But I promise you that if you do things your own way, that you will struggle. You will struggle to find your identity. You will struggle to figure how things work. You will fall. You will continue to make mistakes. And you will always struggle in finding a fullness in life. So what God has for you and what he intended for you is not mandatory. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to participate in what he has. That he created you in that perfect, intentional way. And that he has an intentional and perfect plan for his kingdom. And that you get to come together and it's the fullness of his creation. That's what it is. But this is an invitation and you get to choose how you participate in it. So then the truth comes out. Oh no, Joshua realizes, uh, how did I do this again? But I can't get out of it. I made a covenant. I made the, the alliance. I made the treaty. I can't get out of it. You see, back in the day, covenants were held and they were solid and they were firm. You cannot back out of it. Today, we live in a place where we're always trying to find loopholes. We're always trying to back out of the promises that, we're, that we've made and not to be committed to anything. We... We, we tried to not take responsibility. Back then, when a treaty was made, there are repercussions to it. And that, that treaty and that covenant that was made cannot be broken. Because they made it in front of God. So Joshua goes, why did you deceive me? He goes to the Gibbonites. He's like, why did you deceive me? I mean, Joshua's trying to make sense of out, of out of all of this. He's just like, oh, man, I, I messed up again. I screwed up. It's just like I did this literally just last week. It's like sometimes we feel like, oh, how many times does it take for us to learn a lesson? And so Joshua goes, why did you deceive me? Why did you deceive us saying we are, we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed 
and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. Then they answered Joshua, because it was told to your servant for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight, do to us. Do it. So he did this to them and he delivered them out of the hands of the people of Israel and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord and to this day in the place that he should choose. The Gibeonites sought to deceive, to trick Joshua. But the Gibeonites' reply was, was this, for certainty that your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and you did these things. Do you hear what the Gibeonites' response is? It was told to your servants for a certainty so we feared greatly. Notice there are parallels between the Gibeonites and Rahab. Notice that in chapter two, in chapter two, God spared a Canaanite family, and that was Rahab's family. The parallels are like this: like the Gibeonites, Rahab was a native of Canaan. Like the Gibeonites, she had the confidence that God was giving the land to Israel. Like the Gibeonites, she responded with fear before God's people. Like the Gibeonites, Rahab acted with cunning in order that she and her family might find refuge among the people of Israel. The parallels between the story of Rahab and the story of the Gibeonites seem more than just coincidental. The author of Joshua appears to be demonstrating on more than one occasion and thereby affirming that God in, intends to bless the all the families of the earth throughout Israel as it was written and promised to Abraham. This is glorious. This is God's grace. That even in the Old Testament that God had a heart and for and was saving the Gentiles. That even in the mystery of this providence that through the disobedience and the failures of the Israelites, that even the, that this doesn't come without consequence. No, because that we see that even though God spared the Canaanites and made them woodcutters and drawers of the water and made them servants, we know that in the book of Judges, it reveals the results of what happened here. That the few that were spared became a snare for the Israelites. And just as God predicted that they would, soon everyone did what was right in their own eyes, meaning that the Israelites eventually just turned from God, forgetting the covenant that they had with God and did what was, in, what was right in their own eyes, just did what, as they pleased. And that's what God was trying to spare them from. But because of this covenant that they made, there are always consequences to our actions. There are always repercussions. There are always things that we have to, that, that, that there, there's a price to be paid for the mistakes that we make. But yet, God's grace is there. His mercy is there. His compassion is there. And that this God that we see in all the other stories of this, this annihilation and this genocide of people, that God still, His mercy is there. And that actually, 
that the faith that the Canaanite faces is the exact same faith that you and I face every single day, and that is death. That nobody is spared, that all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and that we, like the Canaanites, also face that same peril. We also live in the consequence of death. And so God's judgment and God's, God's actions towards the Canaanites are the same as ours. It's death. But as God's chosen people, God establishes something that's new, a covenant with us to be with him and part of his kingdom. When you choose not to be with him, you will be forever separated from him. But if you choose to walk in his way and trust that God has this intentional plan for you, then you will always be in that plan. You will always be with him. That you will be in the fullness of how God created you to be. This is God's mercy. That even in our foolishness, the story of Joshua sometimes may come across harsh, but it really is a picture of his love and a picture of how God's relationship is with us. God has promised for all of us here a promise of a life with him, a promise of eternal fellowship with our creator. And the reality of death is paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. So how do you you respond? How do you you respond to Jesus dying on the cross for you to be his chosen people? You see, the enemy will always be there to deceive, to distract, to confuse, to sweet talk, to take you away from God's way of living. We have to be alert in what counsel that we bring into our lives. We can trust our instinct, but even then, our instincts could let us down. Seek God's counsel. Seek his will and seek his way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Just for the grace that we live in and the grace that abounds throughout the universe and we see how just your grace pours out to people and Lord, that even in our foolishness and in our mistake, that grace abounds even more. And so, Father God, as we come before you, Lord, may we come to a place of understanding our identity and our position and our our place with you. And Father God, as we Understand that, Lord, help us come to a place of continuously walking with you. Lord, give us your encouragement through your spirit to seek your counsel in all that we do and all that we have and all in the way that we live. So, Father God, as we come before you, Lord, may you bring comfort into our hearts, bring comfort into our spirit. And, Lord, as we come before you, may we give glory to who you are and glory to your name. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.